I rejoice in a lot of things today. And I love His Word, and we get an opportunity to learn from it again. So they gave me an extra minute. First Corinthians chapter 12, please. We are stuck in verse 4. At least maybe it feels that way a little. Because the same sermon, we started February 20th. And I, let's see, which page are we on right now? It's not very far. We're only on page like 8 or 7. We're on 7. And there's uh, 14 of them, so we're halfway through. But see, that's the advantage of working at one place as ministry for 11 years. You could just do two paragraphs over that length of time, and, and there's plenty of time. So, First uh, Corinthians 12.4, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. It looks like a simple verse in the midst of a simple passage in a simple chapter. As we approach these things, uh, we have to stop and realize Paul is addressing a church that isn't functioning correctly. They are a mess. As far as if we were to step into their church today, we would probably come out confused. What exactly are they trying to do there? Uh, are they believers? Yes. That's almost the scary part about this. By reading these passages and realizing, we're not talking about unbelievers who don't have a clue and never will. But these are believers indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And they can mess it up quite a bit. And it makes us stop and say, hmm, we better be careful here. Because we could easily do the same thing. Uh, they are being corrected. Practically the entire book is a book on correction. And it's done with love. Paul loves these people dearly. And he's invested a lot of time into their ministries. And so this is not an issue he's just going to let go by the side and say, you know, it's okay, they're doing the best they can. Uh, because he needs to address these things and help them understand how did the Lord design a church to work? And if we understand its design, then we can invest ourselves in the efficient functioning of that church. And what that really comes down to, to you and me, is that we all have a part in this church. We're just bringing the application to where we are right now, all right? We all have a part in this church, and the part we are called to play, God has designed. And we want to know what that is, so that we can give our whole hearts to it, and do it for His glory. Isn't that where we're at? That's what we want? And so to understand these things, we're going to look at a church with its struggles, and the applications are going to be easy for us to say, let's not go down that road. <laughs> but let's understand what it is, so that this church, even our church, functions like God designed it to function. And so that's our goal of studying out these things. So there are varieties of gifts. We're going to talk about that today more on top of what we did before. Heavenly Father, help us. Truly help us in our understanding of your word. And especially in this department. For we as believers want nothing more than to serve you well. And to see that in our congregation as we grow and as we learn to work with one another, as we uh, develop into a kind of church that resembles Christ in every way, help us, do help us. 
For we submit ourselves to you today and to your word that you might teach us, train us, uh, prepare us for these works that we might do it to your honor and glory. Thank you, Lord, for being so invested in us. May we be invested in you as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, realizing this, just one one moment of uh, the big picture. As he goes into verse 4, he talks about varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 5, varieties of ministry, but the same Lord. In verse 6, there are varieties of effects, but the same God, who works all things and all persons. He has set up for you two things to observe, and be careful about them. That... In number one side we've dealt with first is that the one who is working among us is God himself, the Holy Spirit. This is his plan. This is his design. The gifts are his to give. The ministries are his to give. The effects, in other words, how they come about and what they do are also his to give. So many times we come up with gifts based on our own preferences. Boy, I sure would like that one. We go out like we're picking them out of the store. Or we say, but I want this ministry. I want that ministry. And we pick it on personal preferences. Or sometimes we even aim for the effects and say, this is what we want to have as a result. This is what our goal is. This is So we set our standards according to effects that we created ourselves. Wouldn't it be different to let the Lord pick the effects? Remember, Paul says, I planted and another watered, but who gives the increase? The Lord does, right? So understand, first of all, we have to know who's the one who created these things. Who's the one that activates them? Who runs them? Who makes, oversees them? Who brings the results? That's God's department. And once we have that straight, then we can start working on the individual parts as to what are we supposed to be doing in God's great plan. And so we are actually walking through what is the varieties of gifts given to us in God's Word, understanding how they work. They're different. Everyone is different. Everyone is different not only in what they are and what they do, and what results they bring, but also, you're spanning 2,000 years of church history too. And many times I have to confess, that's not brought up in the average commentary, because we always put it real quickly into our own world. We read scripture and we, we jump right away to our own interpretation of it. That's called secondary application. Primary application was, how did it apply to the Corinthians? And that's an essential part before it ever gets to us. So, understanding the gifts as they would have understood them helps us to better understand them today. Does that make sense? Because that's where we were last week. Remember, I had a great big chart up here, those who were here. We had a big chart, a timeline. We were setting up a few things for you. And the whole point of that was to explain Something I'm going to say a little bit here and there, so you're not confused by what I'm saying. Some of these gifts are not for today. I don't believe they're for today, because God had a purpose for them in the time they were used. 
for the Corinthians, they were necessary. Because the Corinthian church was operating at the time Paul writes to them about the mid-50s A.D. And most of the New Testament had not been written yet. Matter of fact, probably none of the Gospels had been written yet. Imagine that. What did they do on Sunday mornings till Christmas time? They didn't go to Luke, and they didn't go to Matthew, because it wasn't there. What did they do at Easter time? They go to John chapter 20? No, it wasn't written yet. Could you imagine trying to operate the world's church that God had designed, placed on this planet, operating that thing without the manual? That's what it was. The books like Timothy and Titus, books on church operation, elders and and deacons and all these, you know, all those positions are in there and what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it. They hadn't been written yet. They didn't have those instructions. They didn't have Ephesians. They didn't have Philippians. They didn't have Colossians. They didn't have First and Second Peter. They didn't have the book of Revelation, folks. They're operating without the book of Hebrews, or First or Second or Third John, for that matter. Think about it. Why, then, were the apostles busy in their day? Because that was the gift God gave to them for the foundation of the church. I want to show you a verse. Keep your fingers here. Bookmark, whatever. Ephesians. Go over with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. This will, this will sum up my thoughts pretty simply, I hope. Ephesians 2, verse 20. Now, I'm going to back up just a little bit. Verse uh, 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. All right? We're talking about church folks, right? Having been built on the... What word do you see right there? Foundation of the apostles and prophets. Stop right there. I know it goes on to say, Jesus Christ is himself the very cornerstone. It wouldn't be a church without Christ. (laughs) That's just reality. But the foundation was laid by apostles and prophets. When you build a house, somebody comes in first and lays down the foundation. Usually it's the concrete guys, right? They come out and they... They put up their molds in the square and all the rest they have to do. They pour the concrete in. They have to set and seal. They have to then pull out the forms and such like that. And then the house builders come, don't they? Usually, it's not the same people. Concrete guys do concrete. They generally are not the ones on your roof pouring concrete. Are you glad for that? They have their role. And when their role is done, they move on, and the next group comes in and does their part. I'm trying to make a simple picture. When the church in the Corinthian day was being established, they needed apostles and prophets. Because the apostles were telling them what God said. They didn't have God's word to know it. So they had guys like Paul, and Peter, and John, and James, 
and a bunch of others, there were 12 of them, remember, or more. These apostles were serving among them, teaching them things they had never heard before in their life, because it wasn't in the Old Testament. It was about the church. And the doctrines being taught to them had to be carefully explained, and that's what an apostle did. He was one sent by God. All right? More times than not, they're also the ones who founded the church. That's what Paul did. He went from town to town, starting up churches. The prophets followed and served with him. The prophets would take what was said and keep reinforcing it, reinforcing it, reinforcing it. And honestly, that's exactly what an Old Testament prophet did too. I know we tend to think of these guys as future tellers. But actually, their job was more of, remember what God said, why aren't you doing it? That's the average prophet. That's why when you're reading Isaiah or Jeremiah or one of those other prophets, you're saying, wow, are they heavy. (laughs) They're not telling you the future. It feels like condemnation all the way through, doesn't it? Usually half the book is. Because they're correcting people, the Jews in their Old Testament setting, correcting them because they were not walking according to the law. So they were saying, get back to what you were told. That was the role of a prophet. The early church needed that person too. Because the apostle would tell you, and the prophet would say, why aren't you doing it? Get over there. Go do it. Go do it. Go do it. Go do it. And that's what the prophet's roles were. It's very consistent, as God used prophets, that they would go with the apostles. They were foundational. And those things were set up first, and God designed it this way, and his word shows it happened this way, and this is the path we've been studying so far. This is the way God designed it. So in the Corinthian church, did they need prophets? Oh, yes, they did. (laughs) Because they weren't following through, were they? And so, there are chapters on prophets and prophecies. Chapter 14, heavy on the ministry of the prophet. Paul says, I'd rather be a prophet than one who spoke in tongues, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He's showing that the role of the prophet was very much active in the Corinthian church. Now, to some degree, we still might need a prophet. We might need somebody to say, hey, why aren't you doing what you're told? I mean, you probably won't sit by them during church because they'll be elbowing you the whole time, wouldn't they? Uh huh. But see, that, that's, that would be their job. That would be their job. But here's the point. You now have God's complete word in front of you. Does it not convict you when you read it and you realize you're not walking that way? Do you feel conviction in that department? Do you read a passage and say, ooh, I'm not doing that? Uh, do you feel real good when you read that? The Holy Spirit is really good at this work of conviction. And that's the beauty of, of having the written word, because you don't need a prophet to walk home with you. You don't need a prophet to wait for you when you get your coffee Monday morning and say, hey, hey, you know, you probably wouldn't enjoy that very much if somebody followed you all day long pointing out all the things you've done inaccurately. But God's word is with you, and it does it all the time. Because it's written, 
They didn't have that luxury in the Corinthian church. You see what I'm saying? They didn't have that luxury. So God gave them these roles. And many of these things just show God's providential care for his people. He said, I'm going to have my word written for you. I'm going to paraphrase a thought, all right? I'm going to have my word written for you. Someday my apostles will grow old or they will be persecuted and martyred. So I'm going to have them write down what I want you to know. And that way, when these apostles are gone, and when these prophets are gone, you still will have my word to study, to understand, to live by. It's a beautiful thing God did. It's his orchestration of all these things. That's what God did. He allowed the church to grow up for 30 years before he said, Okay, now I'll give you the word. And I think it was because the apostles and the prophets were about to leave the scene. Several of the gifts that we read of here in Corinthians fit in that department. Okay? I don't, go, I don't stand up and say, well, I'm against that gift, or I'm against that gift, as if, you know, people who claim them today have issues, and I'm, not, I'm against them. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the Corinthians needed that, and if God's Word is sufficient for us, we probably don't need it today. And so sometimes the emphasis is given to something that really is unnecessary. So what are we looking at today? Not only the gift of the apostle, the gift of the prophets, they were needed, but I don't believe they're needed today. I also will add there's particularly the gifts of miracles and healings. Now let me explain again. The role of miracles and healings. Uh, does God still heal? Yes. Can God do miracles? Absolutely. We've seen wonderful things God has done over the years. Things unexplainable, really, that God has done over the years. We thank the Lord for that. I believe God could do anything He wants, anytime He wants. I'm never going to put Him in a box that way. However, these particular gifts of healing and miracles had a purpose in the time of the Corinthians. And all the way through the early part of the New Testament, they were just simply designed to show that they truly had a message from God. This is how you show that you're from God. You do things that only God can do. Called miracles. It authenticated the message. Even ask the Pharisees how many times they asked Jesus to do a miracle to prove he was really from God. That's what they thought. That's their mentality. They said, prove it. If you're from God, then you should be able to do something that only God can do. Because that's our evidence that that's God in you. Alright? So, that happened in the early church. You read it in the book of Acts. Miracle after miracle after miracle. There were amazing things being done. Why? Because they needed the evidence, number one, that this is truly a message from God. And number two... They didn't have the luxuries of life and provisions for life here like we do today. People get sick back then. They didn't have penicillin, did they? No. They didn't have a lot of things that we would take advantage of today and get through things that otherwise might have killed them. There were those who were sick and they were healed. Diseases healed. Leprosy healed. Let me ask you. 
Who's out there healing leprosy right now by the touch of their hand? Hmm. Who's doing that with COVID, by the way? If there was a gift of healing, wouldn't it be handy right now? When pandemics break out, that these kind of people step in and say, Hey, I'm ready. Why are the hospitals full if we, don't, if we had people of these kind of gifts? It was designed for a time to authenticate the message and help people in need when there wasn't any other help for them. God provided these things. Some people say, yeah, but, you know, in missionary worlds, this does go on. And I say, I don't know. I've never been in missionary worlds like that. I do wonder, though, sometimes, as to whether or not we give too much emphasis to that and not to the Word. And we go all all to, to the pageantry of healings and things of that nature. I don't know about you, but I've seen it a few times on TV. Have you? You wonder what that's all about. How is it that they could only have a particular miracle gift and it makes them rich and at the same time it only happens on a special night in an arena in a certain neighborhood? I don't know how that works. But I do know that it's one that's easily, easily made into a fraud. It can easily be made that way because people are impressed by it. Oh, don't get me wrong. There's pastors who are frauds too. And there are missionaries who are frauds as well, who take advantage of these kind of things. Paul encountered them in his days. People who were actually preaching the gospel to spite Paul. It's like, huh? Paul, what's his answer to that? Well, if the gospel's going forth, then let it go forth. We have people today that could mimic everything. Read the book of Acts and see how many people wanted that gift because they thought it would be a great trick in their bag. There's other episodes like that. I don't really want to waste a whole lot of time on that. I'm just saying that we come across in our readings of miracles. We're going to read it in 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to read about healings in 1 Corinthians 12. Understand that that was in their day. And those were important to their day. And something interesting about it, too, is the fact that in that day, Paul could do miracles and healings, but later on in his ministry, he didn't do them. He left some of his people sick when he went on to the next place to serve, because apparently Paul didn't have that gift constantly, but he had it early on. And it was later not visible. Anyway, why would Paul have to ask the Lord to take away the thorn in the flesh if he had that gift? A lot of questions that go along there. And by the way, in case you're wondering if healings and miracles were always done in a positive light, ask a guy by the name of Elemis, who was a sorcerer. And he came up and, and wanted to, to gain some of these gifts for his own good. And instead, there was a miracle done that rendered him blind. Not all miracles were positive. Some of them had negative effects as well that needed to be said too. So when you talk about gifts like these, I put them all in this group. Sometimes we call them gifts that just aren't for today. I call them temporary. I don't say that God can't do them. 
I never will. But I think in the function of his church, he had a plan. And these were necessary in the initial phases. But now that you have God's word, do you have to be proven that this is God's word? I hope not, because I don't know how to do miracles. All right? I can't do them. And so I can't authenticate myself, but I can tell you this is God's word and it's true. And this is what we learn from. And so I just bring it to you today that God has designed it as such that I understand that these are not operated today, not because they're inferior, but because they're not necessary. They're not necessary. Matter of fact, this is what Ravi said. You ready for this? Brace yourself. As far as healings are concerned, a believer today cannot necessarily expect to be healed. Did you hear that? A believer today cannot necessarily expect to be healed. It is not God's will to give good health to everyone. Though Paul earnestly prayed and repeatedly Though he himself possessed the gift of healing, it was not God's will to heal Paul of his thorn in the flesh, whatever you want to call that. If it were God's will to heal every believer, then no believer would die. I think we've lost a few in our family, haven't we? In our church family. Is that because God failed? Is it because we didn't have a resident healer? We don't say it that way, do we? I'll just leave it just there. But this is how he finished it. He says, healers recognize their limitations. They don't claim to heal decayed teeth or instantaneously mend broken bones. All this is to say, we're not saying that God can't do it or miraculous things can happen. But at the same time, if we're trying to build a church on these kind of sign gifts that were temporary and such, I'm afraid we're building on the wrong spot. Because then you've got to, if you start with that, you've got to keep building on that. You've got to keep building on that. Because you know how people's appetites are? If you do a miracle today, guess what they expect next week? Oh, not just a miracle, but a better one. And it keeps going bigger and bigger and bigger. Then you're going to think, I'm on America's Got Talent or something like that. Because I'm trying to impress them every single week to stay in my job. That's a frightful progress to make. Those are sign gifts. Yes. Ready? The gift of tongues is like that too. The gift of tongues is necessary in the development of the church. Start with Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, you got a bunch of, of disciples, most of them Galilean. That's not saying that they were ignorant. They were actually quite sharp. But everybody recognized them. You're from Galilee? That's not a Pharisee. That's not a Sadducee. That's not a scribe. That's a fisherman. Of all things. What's he doing over there? He's preaching the gospel. What's he preaching it in? Oh, some sort of language I've never heard in my life. But somebody in the crowd heard that language before because it was their language. And the disciples in Acts chapter 2 were able, by the Holy Spirit's efforts, to speak languages they did not know. It was a miracle, wasn't it? 
And it led to the conversion of thousands of people that day because they heard the language in their own language. They heard them speak God's gospel in their own language. You can read it in Acts chapter 2. They were astonished. These guys are speaking our language. They were amazed. They were speaking my language. That was a unique gift. A wonderful gift. A helpful gift. If you've got to reach all kinds of nations, and you weren't trained to do that. You know, they couldn't go and get some sort of a a Babel app or something like that and find out how to speak Portuguese. They didn't have that luxury. But if there were Portuguese in the crowd, somebody was speaking Portuguese that day. Because God used a miracle that he's really good at, by the way. He created language. He gave man the ability to talk. When Moses started to complain and say, well, I, 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 just, I, I just can't, I can't, I can't talk very well. And God said, who made your tongue? Woo! You know what? That would have been a threat to me because I thought, if I made that tongue, I could take it right back out. Moses, who made your tongue? God is good at that. At the Tower of Babel, he showed a miracle. Most people don't understand it as such. They say, boy, is that a complication. It's not a complication when God's in charge. And he took one language and broke it into thousands. And all these people speaking strange languages couldn't even communicate. Yes, it had its purpose to stop the tower from being built. But suddenly, look at the variety of languages all over the world. Do you think God said, oops? Or do you think maybe it just shows his glory even more? Because now he's reaching those languages with the gospel. He's sending people out to translate God's word into those languages, into tribes to learn a dialect. To do, it's just a miracle to me. Language is, it's just incredible. God's in charge of language. God made the tongue. And if you want to argue with that, you could go start with one of your animals. And if it talks back, don't be surprised. Because God made the tongue. So when we talk about these tongues, let God say when it's useful and when it's not useful. And what he did early on was useful. He used those tongues to translate his gospel and to communicate his truth to a person who needed to hear it so they could believe in Christ and be saved. That's why he gave them. And you say, well, okay, uh, if that's the case, then, then what's the problem with tongues? Well, a couple of things. Number one, let me put this in perspective. If I was a Jew living today and I read about people speaking in tongues, I would say, uh-oh, are we in trouble? Because that was one of the signs in the Old Testament that you were in trouble. God said, I will bring nations in among you and they would speak languages you do not know. That was a sign that they had walked away from the Lord. Read it in Deuteronomy 28, 29, 30. It's all right there. He says, that's one of the indications that you're not right with me. What that simply means is this. You, as a good Jew, you own your land, you work your land, you do your farm, you bring in your crops, you're doing it the way you should. But at some point, you're not right with the Lord. You step away from His truth. God says, well, I'm going to get your attention. And suddenly, somebody else is owning your land. Somebody else is 
is working your crop. Somebody else is taking in your harvest. And they're speaking a language you've never heard before in your life. You say, what's happened here? God says, I brought in a people that you don't understand to get your attention. So anytime tongues happened in the Old Testament, that was a flashing light on the dashboard of the Jew to say, you're not right with God. Isn't it interesting how he used that in Acts chapter 2 to reach a stubborn Jewish nation who had just crucified the Savior 40 days earlier? And God says, you're not right with me. And he had tongues all over the place that day on Pentecost. All of it was a warning. If you read Peter's sermons, that's not a sermon that makes you feel really bubbly inside and happy. That was like, oh boy, are you in trouble. Read them with that that kind of tone and you'll get it. God is getting their attention and saying, you're not right with me, but I have the solution. It's Jesus Christ. So tongues had their purpose over the years. So I always think it's kind of funny because God used it for judgment more than anything else. And then people in our generation and just before us thought, well, I've got to have speaking in tongues because that's a sign of God's favor. No, it wasn't. It was a sign of God's disfavor. He was punishing people because they brought in tongues. I always thought that was very interesting that that came out that way. We have people, I know, they speak in tongues and things like that. They say, well, it's an indicator I've been baptized by the Spirit. Let me ask you this. If that's true, the first Corinthians, the Corinthians in chapter 1, were identified as being baptized in the Spirit. Chapter 12, verse 13, they're baptized in the Spirit, but not all of them spoke in tongues. How could that be? Because that wasn't a gift for everybody. You see what I'm trying to say? It was a gift for some, not for all. It was a gift for the speaking of the gospel to people who could not understand it. That's what it was for in the early church, because they didn't have a Bible. And they certainly didn't have an app that you could push like the Gideons do and get 400,000 languages or whatever it is you got on there. Um, We've got technology that's amazing. They didn't have any of that. Would God then use a gift like tongues in the early church to reach people in neighborhoods that can't hear the gospel in their own language? Yeah, he could do that. Does he need to do it today? I don't think so. Because most of the time, tongues is used for self-gratification, not for proclamation of God's word. It doesn't bring about people understanding the word. Matter of fact, the way Paul corrects them in Corinthians, he says, if there's no one to interpret it, don't speak it. Why? Because what good is it if it's just a bunch of sound and nobody knows what it means? It had a need to reach people who spoke those languages. That's what it was designed for. It's not a babbly sound. It was designed for a purpose. So I'm just telling you the big pictures here is that that goes with miracles, that goes with healings, that goes with apostles, that goes with prophets. They were necessary for that day, but that day is not here today. We have God's Word established. We have the church established. We have the ministries established as I believe God has designed them, and I think that's sufficient. That's where I stand. Evangelism, that's also a gift here. Do we have evangelists today? 
Yes. What was their primary gift? In Paul's day, they were in the church. Why were they in the church? Because they were expressing the gospel, teaching people the gospel who already knew the gospel. He said, then why did they have to teach them? Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in Romans wasn't written yet. So who's going to teach them the gospel message? Who's going to tell them how to share this with others? It was the role of the evangelist. He was in there for a reason. The church was built on evangelists too. God gave them to equip the saints, Ephesians 4.11. That was their job. Equip the saints, equip the saints, equip the saints. What do we use evangelists for today? Reach the lost, reach the lost, reach the lost. I don't say that's a bad ministry. I think that's a wonderful ministry. I'm just saying in the formation of the church, the evangelist had a role in the early church. Today, that has become something else. We might even call them missionaries. You might put, give them people who go out with the gospel to places that are outside the church building. You see? The church itself does not need the evangelist. The world needs the evangelist. And so we send them out. We send them out. But this is the, the gift particularly of one who ministers in the church to train the church to know the gospel. And we have God's word and it should be sufficient. But for whatever reason, we still need educated, don't we? It's still part of the process. So I don't, I, I can't say that evangelism's off the table. I would just simply say that uh, that particular gift was designed for that church to know the gospel. And if we don't know it, we still need them. <laughs> if we don't understand it, we still need these guys to come in and teach us. Because we should know it better than anybody in this world. Because we have God's word for it, and we have it. We should go on to the next one, and that follows in this course, the role of a pastor. You say, well, of course pastor's in charge. He's in favor of that one, isn't he? Well, uh, what were the pastors made for? What are, they, what are they supposed to do? According to God's word, shepherd the people. Shepherd the people. Provide for them, care for them, protect them, feed them from God's word. I think we're always going to have that need, aren't we? That's the way God designed it. Do you know the first churches founded didn't have pastors? It was years before they realized, oh, we've got to leave somebody here. And so Paul started to appoint men to stay in certain locations and train up the church and develop it. The role of the pastor came 20 years or so after the church was founded. It wasn't foundational. But it was necessary for the next step of development. It was needed because churches were not located in one place. They were spread out over the world in the early days of the book of Corinthians and others. And so individuals had to be placed in certain locations to continue to teach them God's word so that they could grow in it and instructions when new words came from Galatians, Ephesians, or whatever else, they had to take those and share them with the people so they all grew together. God designed the role of a pastor for that role. And so he puts them in their locations. And that wasn't early on, but it was later. The need grew, 
to where pastors were necessary. And until the Lord comes, I don't see them thinking that we should cut that one off. Because the pastor needs to be there to keep the people safe, keep the people fed, keep the people instructed on God's Word. I'll do my best to fill that role. Because that's what I believe God's called me to do. And so, that's where I understand his role. I'm here to equip the saints. So that the saints grow up to be like Christ. And when you start to be Christ-like, and you look just like him, and act just like him, and everything else, I'm done. Alright? So get started. Get busy. Actually, that's when we step into glory. That's when we will see him, and we shall be like him. Serving. There's gifts called serving. Here's a handful of them. I'm going to take my one extra minute. Serving. I could, some, there's serving, there's faith, there's mercy, there's uh, teaching ministries, there's distinguishing spirits ministries, there's exhortation ministries. My list keeps going on. Giving, administration, wisdom, knowledge. I want to go through each one of these separately, but just understand that a lot of these gifts are the ones that keep the oil running in the church to keep it functioning. They are necessary parts for brothers and sisters to live side by side and accomplish what we're here for. And these are the gifts where especially a lot of you are going to fit in and say, oh, that's what the Lord designed for me to do. There are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. Not everybody is in both departments. So serving gifts, we're going to start talking about that next week. Teaching gifts, faith, exhortation, distinguishing spirits, showing mercy. It's quite a list. Uh, it's fun. I'm getting closer. I'm down to page 11. All right, so we're almost through with the first sermon. Um, so I hope I, I'm, I hope I'm helping and not hurting anybody. I'm not here to blast anybody. I'm not here to say, if you think you've got this gift and pastor just said, ah, you know, and you're, then you feel funny about that. Come and talk to me if, if you're having some issue in your heart. I don't want to have an issue in your heart. And I'll talk to you if, if I need to. But uh, at the same time, I just want you to know, God has done such a beautiful thing in variety. And variety doesn't mean the same parts and pieces are operating all at the same time. Right? God's had 2,000 years to work on this project. And so what might be early on may not be later on. It may not be necessary. And it's just in the beauty of the way he's designed it. Let him design it. And it's not my opinion. I'm just showing you what God's Word does. And, and when we see it that way and we step back and say, God, you are so great that all this variety and all these changes have not rattled your plan that Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. And guess what? It's going to be perfect when it's done. No matter how many opinions we come up with, God will still do it the right way. And I look forward to seeing the church in its final stage, don't you? That day's coming, folks. So let's, let's enjoy the beauty of His work in the way He does it. Heavenly Father, help us with this. We're going through a lot of information, I know, but uh, necessary things, perhaps, for us to learn as we go along. Just simply to say, you're great. You are a great God, and we love what you've done for us. So help us understand it better so we could praise you more. 
We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.